Okay, uh, we are currently still in our Grow with Grace series, uh, and in this series we're looking at some important attitudes and attributes about faith, uh, and this series is coinciding with probably, well, not probably, it is coinciding with our greatest step of faith this church has had to take to date, and that is uh, we are in our capital campaign for the new campus, and this series reminds us how important it is to have the right attitude and strong faith anytime, especially when you're stepping out on something this huge, uh, and I mean, I'm just so thankful for how it's been going. It's been going amazing, and I know it's going to continue to. I mean, today's Commitment Sunday, and I, I hope you guys pray about that before you fill out your cards and things, but, I mean, there's still a lot of time left in this campaign, and God's just blessed us so richly. It's just, it's a, in, in my opinion, it's one of the most powerful things I've been through, and I think it's amazing, so I'm, I'm stoked about it. But I can't preach on that right now. So anyway, uh, today we're going to be discussing how to successfully shape our future uh, for Jesus. Uh, and there are three main ingredients in uh, a successful future in Christ. And those ingredients are faith, commitment, and surrender. Faith, commitment, and surrender. Uh, and the title of the message today is Our Calling, uh, Shaping Our Future. And everything we're doing for the future of this church is for service. We want to be able to serve God. It's nothing less than a calling for all of us. We are all called to what we're about to do. Uh, because every believer is called to share their faith live their faith, and to worship, and that's what we're going to enable uh, this church to do and do powerfully. So, okay, now, that being said, let's go ahead and jump in today. I was going to start in Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your, fa- your paths straight. Now, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are some of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And I know I say that a lot, but I have a lot of them, just saying. But they're some of my favorite verses in the Bible because in these two verses, verses 5 and 6, uh, it, they hold the key to having a successful spiritual life just in these two verses. I mean, almost everything God asks a believer to do and to be is present in these two verses. Uh, he asks them to trust and faith and talks about surrender and talks about uh, admiration and reverence and commitment. These verses are like the shotgun verses, they have everything in there, one blast. Now, that being said, I feel like it's, and this is kind of sad, but I kind of feel like those verses have become more of an anthem than a lifestyle, if you follow me. Uh, it's kind of a bumper sticker faith. What an anthem is, is an uplifting or rousing song about a cause designed to inspire, right? And that's what an anthem is. But a lifestyle is when, inspir- is when inspiration turns into a lifetime commitment to that cause. That's the difference, you know, and it's sad, but I do feel like a lot of times Christians take big verses like that, and they use them as, you know, the cheerleader verses, but they don't implant them into their hearts and actually allow the meaning of those verses to make changes in their lives. That's why I call it an anthem. So I'm going to break down verses 5 and 6, and we'll see why they deserve so much attention. So verse 5 begins by discussing the foundation of Christianity itself, and the foundation of Christianity is faith. Faith or trust, faith or trust. Now, it's troubling to me when you hear people say, well, I just can't trust. I struggle with trusting anybody or anything. I hear people say that all the time. I don't trust easy. Anybody ever hear people say that? You know, I've had my trust broken, so I don't trust anymore. And I'm like, okay, that's troubling to me. Because without fail, every day is a day full of exercising trust just to survive. Every day we exercise trust just to survive, and we don't realize it. I mean, whether we're consciously exercising trust or unconsciously exercising trust, it's a daily thing. When you say you struggle to trust, I 
I say you just don't realize how much you do trust, okay? And I'll explain that. When you go to a gas station, do you walk up to the attendant and say, yes, I'd like a sample of this fuel to make sure it's right? Do you say that? I mean, how do you know that somebody didn't come and put vinegar or water in there, right? You just walk up and you give that guy a lot of money anymore, <laughs> right? And I mean, when I was a kid, you could fill your car for five bucks. You know what I mean? Now that gets you, what, a gallon and a half? You know what I mean? So before, before you buy your gas, you evidently trust them, or you'd walk up and say, hey, I mean, I want to see this one to make sure there's not jello pudding in there. You'd ask them, you know, what's in there. But you just take for granted. You don't know who owns that gas station, right? They're not friends with you. You don't know who owns that gas station. They don't care about you. They haven't done anything to build your trust, yet you trust them. When you go to the grocery store, do you ever ask for a paper trail for your vegetables? <laughs> Have you? Maybe you should. I'm not going to let that any farther, but maybe you should. But do you ever walk up and say, you know, who knows? What if those, what if those vegetables sat in a warehouse too long? And so they just cleaned them up, pulled some of the bad parts off, and sent them to the store. What if the, they said, oh, they're so bad, they look terrible, let's just can them? You know what I mean? How do you know that what you're getting is good? How do you know that? You trust that it is. And you don't even know those people. You, have, you don't know them whatsoever yet. We trust them, right? And, I mean, one of the biggest things that gets me, one of the things I don't understand, especially in this day and age when people say they can't trust, one of the biggest businesses right now in this country is ride-sharing. Ride-sharing. So now people are okay with a complete stranger driving them from place to place in their personal car. And you have problems with trust? You have problems with trust and you're letting a stranger... How do you know he's not a serial killer? Anybody ever think that? I'm not going to... This is going to make me sound old, which I am. But I literally have never done Uber. And my daughter's like, oh, come on, Dad. I'm like, no, because I know Chris Mosley's luck. I know that'll be right when a serial killer just gets out of prison, and that'll be his first job. <laughs> and he's going to pick me up. And then you're going to read about me in some, you know, weird crime novel four years down the road. No. I don't, I, and I don't understand... Somehow, in 20 years, we have gone from stranger danger to Uber. Somebody explain that to me. <laughs> right? But the reason we have is because we trust. We trust. You know? And it's not like those Uber drivers that you climb in with, it's not like their police records posted in the car. You don't know what their past is. You just don't understand it. What if they're that guy you see on, like, Law & Order who has pictures of you all over their basement and candles burning. Did you ever think about that? <laughs> now everybody's going to go, no more Uber. But you trust every day. Now, I know that's extreme, but my point is we trust complete strangers every day of our life just, just to survive. We, we trust complete strangers. And none of those strangers died on a cross for you. Yet they get your trust. You see what I'm saying? That's something that's real troubling uh, to me. None of them died for my sins, but I'm going to climb into a car. No thanks. Anyway, so if believers can trust their very lives to people they don't know, you should be able to trust Jesus. Right? Now, trust is defined as to rely on, to depend on, or believe in. Uh, and who fits that better than Jesus? I mean, who fits that better than Jesus? I just don't understand why this is such a struggle. Now, the psalmist also added, or the psalmist, I'm sorry, the writer of Proverbs actually uh, added a disclaimer to, to help people with this verse. He says, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean what? That's the psalmist trying to help you understand. See, what he's really saying there is no human can understand God's power. So don't try to apply human understanding and limitation to his divine abilities. And sometimes when people read this, they don't understand what all that means when it says do not lean on your own understanding. Your understanding does not play into the divine. It just doesn't. The Bible says my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Okay? So when you start saying, let me apply my understanding and my limitations to God, you come out with something that isn't remotely the God of the Bible. Because he has no limitations. See, doubt, fear, intimidation, prejudice, and hate, those are all the result of human understanding and human reasoning. That's where those things are born, human understanding and human reasoning. That's not from God. You know, when, you know, this is one thing that drives me crazy. We, if we honestly trust ourselves, we haven't read the scriptures that much. If you're going to trust your own way, if you're going to trust your own ideas. Because if you think about it, even in Jeremiah, he tells us the worst thing to do is to trust yourself, to trust your heart. Listen to this, Jeremiah 17.9. He says, the human heart is the most what? Deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? If you watch back on crime TV, if you watch crime TV and see some of the weird stuff that's happened to demented people, you can see how far the mind can fall in humanity. But Jeremiah is saying, don't trust it at all. He's saying, Moses, don't trust your heart. Everybody, don't trust your heart because you know what? It was made from dirt and to it it shall return. It is not divine. It can't even understand the divine. So if our hearts are inherently evil, it would be unwise for believers to make plans for themselves and leave God out of it. Wouldn't you think? Because you're starting with something the Bible, your heart is called. People say, I have to follow my heart. Well, the Bible says don't do that. Do not follow your heart. You know what I mean? That's one of those things that's just been ingrained into our head. Now, our future and our calling as a church and individuals both is to passionately pursue God's will. Then trust it and then live it. Right? That, that's every believer's calling. Right? And to accomplish that, we first must be willing to admit that God's will is better than our will. We have to be willing to admit that, that God's will is better than our will. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. He says, therefore, humble yourselves, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, ironically, people struggle with this. People struggle with this. You know, you would think it would be, uh, easy for us to say, I'm done carrying this. I don't want it. But no, we have this pride. It's hard for us. You know, and, I, and the funny thing is, is that most people that say, I, I struggle just trusting God. And I'm like, well, the way you're living right now isn't hitting it out of the park either because you're constantly complaining about your anxieties and your fears and your worries, yet you don't want to trust it to God. I don't understand. It, did you come up with an answer for anxiety and fear? Because if you did, I'll take that pill. You know, the truth is, if you want to get rid of it, the only source is to give it to God. When we surrender to his will, we'll find out something. God is not a dictator. God is not a dictator. He is a loving father who desires to care for his children. Remember, they called Father God. Think about this. That, that analogy was made for a reason. 
Now, he's a loving father. He's a loving father who just wants to care for his children. He wants to bear our burdens. You know when your kids are little and things are going bad for them? How many people want to bear their burdens when they're your children? Some of you better raise your hand. <laughs> you want to bear their burdens, right? And sometimes, let's be honest, you want to fight their fights, don't you? Don't you? When a teacher says something to them, I'm telling you, parent-teacher parent conferences could end up being, I mean, WWF like that <laughs> with some of the mamas, right? And I've never in my life, I, I, I feel sorry for teachers sometimes because you ever notice that it's never the kid's fault when the parents come in? <laughs> well, it can't be my kid's fault, you know what I mean? We want to care for our children. We want to carry their burdens. We want to help them when they struggle. If we could, we would take their struggles away from them, and we would take them for them. Why? Because we are loving parents. You love your kids. Now, don't take me wrong. My dad loved me, but my dad wasn't that guy. When the, my dad always said, I believe you're guilty until they prove you're innocent. That's how my dad was. When my dad would go into the school, he's like, what do you do now? You know, my dad wasn't that guy. I'd get in trouble at school, and dad would be like, okay, well, suck it up. You did it. Take the punishment. <laughs> that, was, that was my dad. Now, if they did me wrong, if they really did me wrong, he'd be the first one to kick the door down. He would. But think about it. If humans can love their offspring without a divine heart, a heart made from dirt, in, a, in essence, if we can love our kids, and if anyone looked at you and said, you don't love your kids enough, you'd probably deck them. So why is it that we believe human beings can give everything up for their children, but we don't believe the creator of the world will give everything for you? Because you know what? He already did. He gave his only son for you. You know what I mean? And that's what, that's what just boggles my mind. He wants to help his children just like we want to help our children. He wants to bear their burdens, take their anxieties. Now the phrase humble yourselves in 1 Peter 5, 6 is from the Greek word tapeno. Tapeno. And it means to make oneself lower, is what it means, to make oneself lower. And that's what makes surrendering to God so hard. How many people in here like to lower themselves? How many people get up and say, today, I'm going to find a way to humble myself to someone else? We don't think of that, do we? Right? It's hard enough to find people that will let someone come, uh, cut in front of them in traffic when they got their turn signal on. You know what I mean? We don't like... To lower ourselves. As a matter of fact, it actually goes against everything the world tells us to do and think. It, it tells us we should never do that, right? But by refusing to lower ourselves, we guarantee we'll never be spiritually exalted. We just guarantee it. And I've seen it time and time again. Our carnal pride kicks in, and we make everything about us. We make everything about us. And we do that by striving to look or sound righteous or by seeking power and control for ourselves. That's what brings that. Listen, I'm going to say this, and I probably make people mad, and that's okay. Christians shouldn't be striving to have positions of power or control in the church. That shouldn't be your goal, is to have positions of power and control in the church. right? We're supposed to pursue a servant's role, meaning serving God and serving his people. And everyone is potentially his people. You know, that's what we should be pursuing. You know, people have, you know, as a senior pastor, people think that uh, I, I say it and it goes. That is not how it works. I have a group of elders. I have, I have deacons. I have, I have people that are friends and confidants that help me. Listen, there are so many of us involved in decision 
making in the church. And I'm telling you, one of the things people really, really forget is that if you're a leader who can't lower yourself, you'll have a congregation that can't lower themselves. You know what I mean? I am your pastor, but I'm your servant. I'm not here to lord over you. I'm here to serve you. That's why I'm here, because he served me through his son. I owe to serve anyone I can the same way he served me. I'm just saying, that's what our goals should be, right? Look at this, Philippians 2.3. It says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as what? More important than yourselves. That's really hard. Okay, verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of, of others, right? That's what we're supposed to be. That's the Christ-like mindset. If you read the rest of that chapter, that's the Christ-like mindset he's talking about there. See, God has designed a role for each one of us. And what it's called is a calling. How many people have heard of a calling? Now, in the past we've talked about this, but when you get a calling from God, you'll know it. You will know when you have a calling from God, right? And people always ask me, well, how will I know? Well, usually it has something to do with something you're good at, right? God is never going to call me to sing to you, ever, <laughs> ever. He's not going to call Jeremy to teach you how to do your hair. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's just one of those things. I'm a dead man. Anyway, <laughs> it's one of those things, though. I mean, it'll be something you're good at. If you're good with people, your calling's going to have something to do with people. If you're, if you're really good with music, it's probably going to have something to do with music. If you sound like a cat stuck in the dryer, you probably shouldn't sing. Just throwing it out there. But everybody has a calling. Everybody does. And callings can be for individuals, and they can be corporate. They can be for individuals, and they can be corporate. And I believe this new facility is our calling as a church. I really believe that. And anybody that knows me really well knows I've talked about this and talked about this and talked about this. I have envisioned this so much, I can see it. I, I honestly sit awake at night sometimes imagining what it's going to be like to feed that many more people, to have those camps, to do those things. I believe that this is our calling is to reach those seven or 8,000 people in this one small town who don't go to church anymore. I want to reach those people. I want to reach as many people as we can around the world or with our missions and our outreaches. We want to reach as many people as we can, and I believe that this is our calling. You know, every calling that's from God, here's how you can kind of test it. Every calling that's from God is given to us so we can serve God and each other. Okay, that's what every calling from God is, everyone. When we accept our calling, right, and sometimes we say accept, well, there's sometimes people just don't want to do it. Has anybody here ever fought their calling? Anybody ever fought it? I know many of you have, right? I know because I did. And when you fight it, nothing else you do works. I'll never forget, I, this isn't in my outline, I'm going to share it anyway. When I first started preaching, there, I had some trials and tribulations when I first started preaching. Um, I preached in front of 200 people with my zipper down and my shirt sticking out of it. <laughs> Still seeing a counselor for that one. If you were in the crowd that day, sorry. <laughs> right? Yeah, my buddy's in the front row going like this, and I'm like, what is he doing? But anyway, when I first started preaching, I remember I, I, was, I, had, I had worked on this sermon for so long, and 
I wanted to preach that sermon. I wanted to preach that. I could hear the crowd, you know, going, yes, you know what I mean? This, this is such an impactful sermon, We're gonna, God, and God would not give me freedom. Every time I opened the Bible, it would take me to this passage on David. God wanted me to preach on David, and I kept reasoning with him, which never, never worked. And I'm like, no, God, haven't you been watching the visions in my mind? How this is going to work? Everybody's going to love this. This is going to be world-changing even though I'd only been preaching like two months. And so that Wednesday night, I get up to preach. I went ahead and followed me. I got up and looked down at that outline, and it might as well have been in Chinese. I couldn't, I couldn't even follow it. I couldn't understand it. And do you ever get nervous where you start feeling like every pore starts opening up? And then it feels like adrenaline shooting out of all of them? You guys ever get that? Kind of like when you almost rear end somebody, you know that feeling? Where you go, anybody see that? <laughs> okay. That feeling of anxiety rushed over me. And I didn't know what to do. I was trying to think of something clever to say to get me the heck out of there. And everybody's looking at me, and I know what they were thinking, bless his heart, <laughs> you know? And so I looked at all of them, and I said, okay, all week God's been telling me to preach on David. And I ignored him. And everybody got quiet. I said, I wanted to preach this sermon, but I can't because God doesn't want me to preach this sermon. So I opened that passage, no outline. And I said, we're going to preach on David. Turn with me. And we preached on David that day. And it spoke to a lot of people. And God was trying to tell me, Chris, I know who needs to be spoken to. I know who, what people need to hear and why they need to hear it and when they need to hear it. Your job is to be my mouthpiece. You are a megaphone. I am the voice. And when you stop allowing me to be in the forefront, it is no longer a ministry. It's about you. I'm thankful for that lesson to this day. See, God's calling to say I'm right. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I mean, if, if you're going to do it, if it's a calling and it's legit, it's going to glorify God and it's going to serve him and it's going to serve his people. So what we should be doing is pursuing the calling God has for each one of us. That's what we should be doing. Now, if we want this project or anything we do to be successful, the first thing we have to do is humble ourselves. We have to be willing to lower ourselves, like we were talking about. And we need to remember, we're not doing this. We're not building this building to look important. That's not why we're doing it. We're not building this building so that we can appear superior. It's not it. As a matter of fact, when we met with the first architects and stuff, we kept telling them, no, we don't want stained glass. No, we don't want that. Why not? It's beautiful. And it's expensive. We don't want that. We could use that money to serve God. You know what I mean? It's, that's not why we're going there. We're not going there. We are doing this to have the room and resources to better serve God and his people in this community and around the world. And that's exactly what's going to happen. That's, I'm so excited about it, right? And I'll say this, which I'm, I'm, I know I won't regret it. We'll pay that off in five years. I'm just saying, we're going to pay that off in five years. That has been on my heart for a long time. Now you guys are going to write that down. But anyway, <laughs> right? But we should be doing this to better serve God and his people, and that's why we're doing it. First Peter 4.10 says, as each one of you has received a special gift, what? Employ it 
in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We shouldn't go into this or anything with an attitude of self-centeredness. We shouldn't. We shouldn't be worried about our position. We shouldn't be worried about our appearance. That's not what we should be worried about. Our sole purpose should be serving and glorifying God and sharing his word. That's what our whole purpose should be in that building, and that's what it is. Now, let me move on. Commitment. See, God desires full commitment. And there are two very specific commands about commitment, two verses that give us two commands. Okay, first is in Proverbs. We're commanded to commit our work or plans to the Lord. Proverbs 16.3. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Right? Now, in the original Hebrew, and this is kind of cool. In the original Hebrew, the word commit actually means to roll onto or roll away. Roll onto or roll away. That's what it means. Right? And the idea conveyed in the Hebrew, it's like rolling something heavy onto a cart. Right? It's like this is too heavy. We got to find, let's roll this weight off of us and onto a cart that can bear the weight better. That's, the, that's what it lends to, the idea behind it in the Hebrew. Now, what burden are we supposed to have that we roll off of us onto God? What is that? And it should be our plans for our future. Every plan we make should be what we roll out to God or roll on to God. That's what we should do. Now, I rarely mention the Latin Vulgate, which the Latin Vulgate is just the Latin translation of the Bible. Uh, and it was mainly uh, the work of a late 4th century man named Jerome, which is another sermon. But, and I wouldn't build doctrine on it, just throwing that out there. But I love how it words Proverbs 16.3. Look at this, Proverbs 16.3. says, lay open, listen, lay open thy works to the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be directed. Okay, lay open. God, I love that, that gives me goosebumps. Now, the reason I like this wording is it really exemplifies the author's meaning here. It means believers should present their ideas and plans before the Lord for review. It's kind of like an architect coming and saying, what do you think? Right? You've got to approve it before I get it stamped. I'm not going to send it off to the state until you approve it, until you say this is right. Right? We are supposed to roll our plans out before God and say, review it. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me where to fix where I'm wrong. Okay, that's what we're supposed to do because our ideas, spiritual or otherwise, often sound better than they really are. Right? The Bible says there's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And that is so true because a lot of times our plans sound really good, but I wouldn't trust them until you roll them onto God, lay them open before God. Allow God to examine your motives, your plans, why you're doing it, what you hope to see from it. Allow God to do that. If we did that to every facet of our life, we'd have a lot less mistakes in our life. This, the problems we have today, in this world today, is that our kids are being taught to trust everything you see on CNN, to trust everything you see in the science books. That, that our kids are being taught basically today that if you can't see it, touch it, feel it, don't believe it, don't trust it, is basically what we have today. And that's because along the way, we should have been rolling out our plans for how we wanted our kids educated. We should have been praying and rolling out our life plans before God in every facet. This country would be totally different, but I'm not going to go on that. That's another sermon. But if you want to have success, you've got to lay them out before God. If we, want, uh, if we want 
what we plan to do or say to be successful, submit it to God for review. It's that simple, right? And that lightens the burdens we feel due to anxiety, doubt, and fear of failure. Fear of failure stops a lot of great things from happening. But why would you be afraid to fail if you're taking that plan and opening it up before God? It should take that fear of failure out. That's why as believers and as a church, every decision should be bathed in prayer. I hope everybody did that with their commitment cards. Bathe it in prayer, right? Now, the second thing, the second verse I wanted to talk about, uh, we're commanded in Psalms to commit our way to the Lord. It's in Psalms 37. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do it, right? Now, again, the word commit is the same commit we talked about in Proverbs 16.3. Right? Now, the Hebrew for the word way, right? commit your way, the Hebrew word for way is defined as road, distance, or journey. That's what way means in the Hebrew. Okay? So, we're supposed to commit our path, our distance, and our journey to the Lord. That's what this is saying. Right? The road we commit to the Lord is our commitment to follow his path. That's what that's talking about. So Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love that because there's two different things that's being discussed in those verses, which I won't spend too much time on. But it's saying your word is a lamp to my feet. When you walk into a room, you flip a lamp on. It shows you what's going on in that room. It reveals what was hiding in the dark in that room. It gives you revelation in that area where you are right now. But... A light, when it talks about a light, it's talking about one they would carry. So he's saying, God, you're a light that shows me where I am, and you're the light that guides where I'm going, because I take you with me. Your word is a lamp and a light. I love that. The distance we commit to the Lord is our commitment to perseverance. Look at 1 Chronicles 16, 11. It says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually seek his face continually the journey we commit to the lord is our commitment to patience anybody here afraid to pray for patience be honest raise your hand anybody ever prayed for patience said why did i do that okay well we have to make a commitment to be patient it's not always bad galatians 6 9 says let us not lose heart in doing good right listen for in due time we will reap if we do not Grow weary. You know what he's saying? Be patient. Yeah, they're making fun of you. Be patient. Yeah, they're saying stuff to you in school. Be patient. Yeah, the news constantly blasts us and every sitcom and every TV drama makes us look like idiots. Be patient. You know why? Because someday, when the eastern sky splits open and he starts to return, you're not going to care what they think and what they say. Because in that day, your patience will pay off and you will see that when I said, I will come for you, I meant it. Be patient. Don't need everything right now. Now, the last thing is surrender. The last thing we have to concentrate on as we take this journey, and surrender is tough. This is one of the last things we need to focus on. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Right? Now, like anything we do for the Lord, we can expect opposition from without and from within. It's going to happen. It's already happened. All right? Make no mistake, the enemy is going to cause hurt feelings for no reason, for silly reasons. Right? The enemy is going to cause dissension for silly reasons. 
there's always going to be somebody running their mouth that has absolutely no idea what they're talking about and causing trouble for everybody else. That's always going to happen, right? There's always going to be strife. The enemy's going to make sure that there's strife. Somebody trying to stir something up, it's, it's going to happen, right? I've never, we've never stepped out as a church without that happening, ever. Have you ever stepped out on your own without that happening? Anybody? You step out on your own, what happens? You don't think the devil fires darts at you? Step out. Step out and watch him fly. Okay, that's his job and he's good at it, right? It's just the way it is. But even the disciples, we forget, even the disciples who are trying to build a whole new way of thinking, even the disciples had the devil attacking them with these hurt feelings and these dissension and strife. Even the disciples had that, right? Do you remember when James and John's mommy went to Jesus and said, make my two sons sit at your right hand and left hand, make them special? Can you imagine what the other disciples said? Well, James and John come outside. We'll show them our special. That's what they were thinking. Think about this. Look at this. Matthew 20, 21. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons. That's what's embarrassing. It's bad enough mommy's sticking up for grown men, but she walked you to your boss. I can't even imagine allowing that to happen. You know what I mean? My mom wanted to hold my hand when we crossed the street at 14. I had a connection. She's dragging them before Jesus, okay? And it said, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that your ki- in your kingdom these two sons of mine will sit on your right and one on your left. You don't think there was dissension among the, the disciples? You think that went over well? How about this? All the disciples used to argue about who was the greatest. When we think about the disciples, we think, oh, they were full of faith, and they would never do anything wrong, and they never got mad, and they were happy when people did them wrong, and then bless your heart if somebody hit them, and you know. Yeah, Luke twenty-two twenty-four. 24. It says, and there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. You see what I mean? It's going to happen. If we are any believer or church, wants to succeed, we have to know our limitations, okay? We have to know what's coming, right? We have to understand that. And Jesus perfectly explained the limitations of humanity many, many, many times. And this is what's going to get us through the chaos. This is what's going to get us through the people trying to sabotage us. This is what's going to get us through all the negative press and all the stuff people try to say to hold us back. This is what's going to get us through the attacks, right? Knowing when to give it to Jesus, knowing our weaknesses. Listen to this, John 15, 4. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Know your limitations. Right? Matthew 19, 25. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? Verse 26, and looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is not up there, (laughs) impossible. With people, it is awesome. With people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I love that. With God, all things are possible. Our limitations can be measured by two main indicators, okay? The first Our limitations can be measured by the depth of our faith or how much we truly trust our future to God, right? 
And the second way we can, the second indicator is our willingness to sacrifice our pride and selfishness and surrender to that trust. That's the two indicators right there. That's the two indicators. When we learn to embrace our faith and swallow our pride, we're going to discover something. We're going to discover that nothing is impossible with God. So nothing is impossible with those who follow his will. You see what I'm saying? And I'm not giving you a prosperity gospel. Owning a Bentley is probably impossible, right? Because God doesn't want that for you, right? Maybe for me, not for you. No, <laughs> right? So when it says, ask and you shall receive, pray, and, you know, it's not saying for what we just, we've, we've carnalized that. It's saying anything you ask that's according to God's will, he's going to do it. So when we get our plans lined up with his plans, guess what? We lay them open before God. We commit to follow the review that he gives us. When he puts his stamp of approval on it, it can't fail. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Now, as believers, we have to be intentional about staying positive. Okay, our future and our calling surround the idea that we believe God can do it, we're excited for God to do it, and we are going to stay positive. Even when people try to throw negative at us, we're going to stay positive, right? We have to stay positive. Not positive about what we can do, but positive about what God can do through us. And I want to close with one of the most, I mean, positive passages in the Word of God. And we'll close with this. It says, uh, Psalm 101, it says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Notice, serve the Lord with gladness. Let that roll around for a second. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. I love that verse. If you knew the adversity of what that writer who wrote this went through, you would understand how powerful that is. Listen, I know this is a lot we're throwing at you right now. But join me in embracing this calling. Because this calling is not just our future, but the future of a lot of people who need what we have to give them. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your mercy and your kindness. I thank you for your love and your grace. There are so many among us today, God, who have fears in our lives and anxiety. So many of us are stressed out. This world just pushes us into a position where our mind is thinking about everything but you. But God, I remember. I remember how you found me. I remember what you gave me. And I remember I don't deserve it. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me a chance to have eternal life, not based on me or my reputation or what I can do or what I can give up, but based on your grace. Anyone who can trust what Jesus did to guarantee you their eternal life, you've promised to give them eternal life. So if someone's hung up on that today, just clear their mind and let them feel that warm embrace. If they make that decision, we hope they contact us. We want to walk with them in their journey. But for those of us who are believers, God, give us a passion 
Give us a love for the people. Let us remember the people who loved us and let us cast that out. God, we know, we know that we're stepping into a big project. But we're going to lay it before you, Lord. We're going to ask you to approve it, to review it, to show us where we're wrong, to show us what we have to do to be right. And we're going to believe that you're going to use us to do so many powerful things because we're not going to do a thing that we don't run past you. We just thank you, God, for all that you do. We ask you to go with us and keep us safe as we leave here. If you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together one more time and give you all the praise, honor, and glory. You're so worthy of it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.